Hello friends, we are on location here in Edmonton and I, I ran into a local stud here, so I'm from the West Coast. I'll call them local, but I, I do understand that BC and Alberta don't like when you compare each other, but you know, I'm from Ontario, so we'll do it anyways. Today's guest is a two-time national champion. He won the Norseka Beach Championships with Christian Redmond. He's represented Canada over 39 times and he's here at the Canada Cup Youth Event coaching with Volleyball BC. Today's guest is Maverick Hatch. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Josh. Good to be back in the scene a bit. How are you enjoying uh, Edmonton so far? Uh, well, I got here after the uh, monsoon, so <laughs> no complaints there. It's been nice. Good. Um, so I guess the first thing, uh, fans of the show will remember the last time Canada hosted an event was in Quebec City, and you and Sam Schachter kind of took the lead as the men's team there and finished a, a ninth. Uh, so can you just talk about your experience there, what's like playing in front of family and friends in the local crowd, and maybe what Ben and Grant or Sarah Melissa are feeling right now as they go into uh, the final day here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how, how accurately I can really speak to Ben and Grant and, and especially Sarah and Mel after everything they've done. Again, uh, it was amazing to see Sarah and Mel win Worlds, so huge props to them. That's amazing for Canada and the sport. And Ben and Grant, they're, they're for sure better than I ever was as a team <laughs> competing. <laughs> they're playing really well, and uh, it's nice to see them perform uh, when it matters most in Edmonton. But Quebec... Uh, that was a special tournament. I have friends and family. Uh, my mom is from Quebec, um, so that was quite the experience. I mean, Sam and I had to play country quota, um, qualifier, and then in the main draw, so it was quite a grind, and that was early in our careers together. Um, but anytime you get to compete on home soil, um, there's something special about that, and it definitely adds a little more energy, at least it did for me in the time. Um, so for the event to be in Edmonton, back after, you know, too long, in my opinion, um, it's fantastic to see. I mean, it's nice for Canadian teams to get a look. I mean, we had more teams in this main draw than we have, I think, in many of the other tournaments this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, for sure. I think, did we get up to five on the women's side and four on the guys? I'll have to go back and double check, but it, it, it felt good to be that competitive and go pretty deep into a three-star. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, three-star, four-star, five-star, one-star, whatever it is these <laughs> days, it, it's nice to see Canadians, uh, you know, littered throughout the tournament and, and gives, you know, a flair for everything. You got the McNamara's now, they play a really unique game to them. You got Mel and Sarah, obviously, dominant team. Um, you know, uh, Pishki and, and Sophie and, uh, you know, some of the other younger athletes on the women's side. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it's good to get them more experience um, playing meaningful matches and again at home in front of friends and family. It's special. It's good. There needs to be more of it for sure. Good. So let's cover your story for any uh, listeners who might not be familiar you being a West Coast guy, what kind of convinced you to move to Toronto and be part of that kind of first intake of a centralized program? Because I think you, Ben, came, like that was one of the first group to really move to Toronto and train full-time, right? Reader was in that, like, were you in the first wave of that? Yeah, Sewell, Ray Sewell yeah. was out there too. Um, Jamie. Um, Sorry, I forgot the whole women's side. Jamie came out. Yeah, and... yeah, Jamie was out there. Uh, she came with Elizabeth Cordonier, I think. Yeah, I don't know if Liz actually ever made it out there. Um, yeah, there was, there was a group of us. It was uh, kind of a double-edged sword in the sense where you have to dive full in still, even today. 
Um, not much has changed in that regard. If you want to take beach seriously, you still need to be in Ontario uh, majority of the time. Um, you're starting to see senior athletes now uh, train a little more independently down in California, sometimes on the West Coast. And it's nice to see them stretch it out, spread the sport um, across Canada. But um, yeah, for me, it was it was an easier change because, like you mentioned, there was Ben and Kay and I. You know, we all got a place together. We were there training full time, and um, it's always a challenge when you got to step outside your comfort zone, and and especially in today's age where there's so much family support at a youth level. You know, it's a big event now. Everyone goes down to the beach, and they got the cooler and the tent, and um, it's the whole nine yards. So. Um, yeah, taking that dive, it I wouldn't trade it for the world. There's so much learning opportunity, not just moving to Toronto and living on my own and managing all aspects of life without much support at all. I mean, other than the support of the people in Toronto that I met, I made lots of good friends, lots of people that supported me, um, both from a sponsor level and support level financially. You know, I made good relationships with people, found some sponsors, um, worked a ton. You know, Beach Blast, George, the Shermers, yep. all big supporters, Katrine, Ivy, and Phoenix, uh, Volleyball Club. Um, it was massive. It was, it was nothing I would trade for the world, and I strongly suggest athletes make that jump if they're serious about beach. Um, but, uh, yeah, now that I'm back on the West Coast, it's, you know, looking back, I, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was everything it should have been and more, for sure. Nice, nice. And let's let's set the record straight. I think sometimes you get labeled as being, you know, difficult or uncoachable or whatever the methods were, but I always find you to be very genuine. You just speak your mind and, and you do your thing. Appreciate that. Um, one thing I always enjoyed about your playing career is you were one of the first guys to really kind of start a brand. Like, you had a website, you had a blog that you kept up. Like, what made you start that? Because that was at a time where there wasn't a lot of media, so you kind of just did it on your own, right? And it, they were well written. Well, thank you. I mean, now that I'm, what, 32 now, and I was writing blogs online for whoever cared to read them <laughs> when I was, what was I, 21, 22, and, and older, um, I actually, when I got rid of the website, I downloaded all the blogs because I want to go back and read them, and I read a few, and I, I can't believe I was writing and posting some of this <laughs> stuff, but you're not the first guy to say, like, being so candid online, and and you're right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily shy away from from what I feel is my truth anyway, and and how I view things, and always open and willing having a vulnerable conversation, and and you know talking about your opinion, my opinion, and having a conversation about it. Granted, some more intense than others in my playing career, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean props to Reader. He kind of led the way before me with a brand and a website and, you know, him being a Comox guy, he and I actually didn't um, know each other or, I mean, maybe knew of each other but didn't have a lot of interaction at the time. So he was, uh, yeah, definitely led the way and, and showed me how to do certain things. And, you know, I remember sitting down with my web designer at the time and I pull up Reader's site and I was like, look at this guy's site. And he's like, you know, we can do something better than this. And Reader was always <laughs> leading the way. So it was, uh, and, and yeah, props to him. He, he definitely did it, I think, the best. But he, uh, you know, let young guys, he led a good example. So I kind of just took his lead and, and uh, yeah, you kind of have to have an online presence 
as a Canadian athlete, in my opinion, nowadays with social media, it's a whole lot easier. You don't necessarily need a website. Um, but without an online presence, it's that much more difficult to find sponsors. So um, that's kind of what led the charge for me. And blogging, it's good. I would always write on planes. Uh, it's kind of a release for me. Um, you know, being in Toronto, having people that I was close with and I could have open conversations with, but no family really where you're comfortable being the most vulnerable and open. Um, so, I mean, I didn't post everything I wrote on planes, but I loved writing on planes on long flights, you know, that eight-hour flight across the Atlantic and, and you know, write about tournaments, write about mentality, focus, development, everything. Anything that came out, I would just write. So I enjoyed writing. It was fun. Yeah, that's neat the, the way you phrased it about the blog there where I'm thinking, yeah, 2008, 9, 10, 11 when you were doing that. Kids today would just use Instagram. I'm not sure the last time they read a blog. I'm not sure the last time I read a blog. I mean, I don't even know if blogs exist anymore. It's just an Instagram <laughs> post and uh, you got a quote or, uh, you know, words of encouragement that you copied from someone else online. I don't know. How does it work these days? I think, you know, Pedlo probably, I wonder if he would credit you and then credit Reader and then the, the cycle goes uh, I don't on. know if Pedlo's <laughs> giving me any credit for anything. That guy, you know, he does it well. He does his style. It's... Uh, you know, there's some of it that's unique and some of it's not, but it is what it is and it works, so it's good. Because I don't want to, I don't want to fast forward over your career, but I do want to get to some of the other exciting stuff. So just for our listeners here, uh, you and Christian won the North Seca Beach Championships. Do you remember who was there? I feel like you beat the good Mexico team. I think you beat Ontiveros and Virgin, and there was a good American team. They were like, like the circuit was good. That was the final tournament of the they, year, right? Yeah, they, they, I would. Yeah, it was a good American team. There's Juan, Juan and uh, what's his partner's name, Ontiveros. Yeah, I forget his first name. I, yeah, should know. I should know his name. He's a good player. <laughs> yeah, they're solid. Um, but yeah, we beat them, and um, that match specifically was hilarious. I'll never forget Christian. Um, he looks at me at one point, and, and they're serving Christian, and I'm hitting on two, and I'm serving some aces and getting lots of blocks, and I look at Christian, and he just starts laughing, and we're like, we're up in the second, or maybe it was a third set, I couldn't remember, I think it was in two. And he looks at me, and he's like, wow, you're on fire, just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, focus, focus, let's go, come on, no time for that. And he just starts laughing, I'll never forget that moment. But yeah, it was, uh, the American team was um, Avery Drost, and I forget who he was playing with at the time. Yeah, it was a fun tournament. No, that was that was awesome. The, the special thing about that tournament was that Jamie and Christina also won. That's right, I remember that. Um, now, and yeah. Ben and Kane were there too. They finished uh, third, and so we had three Canadian teams on the podium at the end. The third being Jamie um, and Christina. So that was pretty cool. You know, my not fiance, I think girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, holding the first place trophies together is pretty special. Nice. So you guys won that. Uh, Suffered a bit of an injury, but then came back, won nationals, won a medal on Arsica with Garrett May, yeah. and then uh, you decided to transition into your grown-up job. So why don't you tell us about that? Uh, <laughs> what what was it like kind of transferring from an athlete where, I'm, I'm glad you came back from injury, so it, it hopefully it felt like you went out on your own terms versus you retired because of injury, and, and you did play at a high level when you did come back, which was great to see, but when you transitioned, was there any hesitation, or did you miss it, or what, um, what could replace that energy that you were putting into your sport? I mean, at the time I got injured, I, uh, mentally, it was a grind. And it, it was a grind from 2010 or 11 or whenever we got to Toronto up until that point. And, um, yeah, really to think about it, what, only 
four years, five years, and I was already two. Like it, it was a short time looking back, but felt really long. And it's kind of ready to take a break, and and then poof, blew my hip labrum and took some time off, and then uh, ended up working in Toronto for almost two years for Greenhouse Juice. Um, just took a retail job that I didn't like working in a store with the intention, you know, kind of that athlete mindset, like I'm going to keep getting better and better and better. So took a retail job and, you know, within three months had a, a manager position um, in head office um, and then, you know, worked through them. I think they moved from a 3,000 square foot processing facility to a 30,000 square foot processing wow. facility and tons of financial investment from the federal government. and. It was a cool process, you know. It was definitely a nice segue into what I'm doing now in Vancouver, um, which is lumber trading. If any of you are familiar, it's essentially just buying and selling lumber and taking a speculative position in the market, leveraging the futures. Um, and my business is based in Texas, and if I tell people what I do, and like, how the heck did you get into that? And I'm like, yeah, a friend of mine works. They like hiring athletes, and it's competitive, and um, so it's been a really nice transition, actually. I really enjoy the pace. Um, for the first time ever, it allows you to have some consistent income. Granted, you know, Sam and I and Christian and I, we were never a consistent main draw team, so you could never rely on that income from volleyball. Um, but it's nice, you know, you get your weekends off and do what you want to do. And if you don't want to go to the gym, you don't go to the gym. <laughs> there you go. Well... That brings up a good point. Last week on the show, we had Joel Hannon, who's a, a student at Ryerson, and he's actually doing his master's on uh, athletes going to the workplace and are they further ahead, further behind. So with your employer, when you mentioned they like hiring athletes, what are some of those skills that you think are very transferable from you being like a high-level athlete? Oh, the biggest one by far is just being process-oriented, for sure, without a doubt, um, especially in a sales role. Um, I know... I, I know athletes not all but a lot struggle when they're done playing sport they feel like they might lose their identity and um, don't quite know what direction they want to go into um, but you know going back to writing and blogging is what I'd read about on the plane not necessarily what I want to do after sport but how do I apply what I'm learning in sport to real life and that was always a big thing for me as an athlete um, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about it and the things you learn not just as a beach volleyball player, but as a Canadian beach volleyball player. And yes, it is a little different nowadays because there is more funding. But we were, you know, working in the off season to support our travel and, and competitions and during the season. And you're running your own sponsorships and you're managing every aspect of logistics when you're competing. At least we were. Um, and I know it's still the same for a lot of athletes nowadays. So like, you learn so many skills and sure you're not coming away with a paper, diploma, you know, anything like that at the end of the day. But those skills, being process-oriented, being driven, self-driven, being uh, um, confident in what you're doing, but also um, able to take constructive criticism without getting down on yourself with it, understanding that, you know, you're probably still, outside of sport, one of the hardest critics of yourself, as many high-performance athletes are. So when someone else gives you that criticism, I find that athletes kind of run with it. And in an office setting, whether it's actually in office or you're working remote, anything like that, 
the real workplace, those are all skills that people don't have naturally. Not all people, but for sure, those are the skills that, that I think all athletes can feel comfortable and confident with when they make that transition, knowing that they'll be highly sought after. It's just a matter of being confident in that in the interview process and, and positioning yourself properly so they can see those skills shine through. Good. Well said. Thank you. So yeah, transferring back, you, you moved home. Uh, you're married now. Congratulations to you and Jamie. Thank um, you. Anna, I'm sure that, that helped with the stress of retiring. That you know, You're married to an Olympian and she probably knows the what it's like to transfer from an athlete and retiring and doing that, so you're, you have support in your, in your personal life? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I went first there, so it was more so the roles reversed. I was kind of helping her, and um, yeah, I mean, you should maybe get her on one day. I'm sure she'd we like would to love to, to for sure. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention, being a Vancouver guy, did that help you retire because the strength of the community there, where if you really wanted to play... I've heard you guys will just play King of the Beach, like you'll call three buddies, and you might go down and play just your own King of the Beach, uh, or you might play Cliver, or you'll play Van Open. Like you're not, you're not totally detached from the sport, I guess, just because of the community that already exists in BC, right? Yeah, it was definitely easy. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Probably two, three years after being in Toronto, I was ready to go back out west. I remember one time it was probably a year before we actually moved back out west. Jamie looked at me, and I misunderstood what she said, and I thought she said, you know, let's move home. And I was working for Greenhouse, and we had a bunch of things going on. I was like, yep, okay, let's do it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> um, no, but definitely having that culture. I mean, going back to the place where I grew up playing on Kitts Beach, and, you know, again, back to the friends and family thing, it definitely makes it a lot easier. Um, Jim Clive runs a great show on Kitts Beach, and, and, yeah, you know, me and a few buddies, we always go down. We all throw 20 bucks in. We play for some money on the line, King of the Beach style. It's fun. Um, it's definitely a good scene. I find the scene in Ontario is definitely bigger. It's more high performance. Um, but the scene in Vancouver, it's tighter from top to bottom, um, in my opinion. So it definitely made the transition easier, knowing I can still play. I probably play three, four tournaments a year now. Probably train three, four times a year, but it's fun. Good. Hopefully in Ontario we can get some uh, promoters involved or, or some prize money and bring you and Jamie out to Ontario and hopefully play in a tournament so we can see you guys again. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, golf takes up more of my time oh, nowadays, yeah, nice. so let me know if there's a, a good golf tournament out there. There's a few beach players who have told me that where like their theory is the more they play beach, just the worse they get, where it's nice to pick up another sport and at least feel like you're improving or being challenged, right? Yeah, totally. Golf is a great mental challenge above all else. Um, but yeah, I mean, beach will always always be what I want to play. I just think I'll, uh, my physicality will let me down in beach before anything else. So, Well, I, I heard a rumor today that uh, you're going to transfer to a defender and start uh, personally training some blockers in Vancouver, so maybe that'll keep a few years <laughs> on your career and save some jumps. And Well, I've already started that transition a bit, you know, playing with Alex Russell, big 10-foot guy, 6-foot-10, sorry. Um, you know, play a tournament or two with him. It's fun. You know, it's nice to challenge yourself with a little easier on the body, not having to run up to the net. Too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, these, these defenders don't know how easy they have it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's get into what kind of brought us here. So, yes, the Edmonton Three Stars going on, but one cool thing that Volleyball Canada did is we're here for the Canada Cup, which is an under-20 tournament, which actually included uh, about three days of training with some national team coaches and staff. Uh, I got to present 
and now there's a two-day tournament, and I counted today, there's seven provinces represented, uh, there's 12 women's teams here, 10 men's teams, and we're lucky to have you and a bunch of other coaches here on site, so what kind of got you into coaching right away, and what got you in with Volleyball BC? Um, well, as an athlete training full-time, it's easy to coach and, and make some money, especially in Toronto, because the volleyball scene at a youth level is super competitive, so good coaches are always sought after. Um, not making an assumption that I'm a good coach, but I would like to think so. <laughs> um, so coaching is something I've always done. I think I started coaching in 2008 when I was going to Malaspina, which is now VIU in Nanaimo. Um, and so I, I've never really stopped coaching. Um, so it's kind of a natural transition. I've always wanted to give back to the youth volleyball community. I initially thought that would be you know, making the Olympics once or twice, three times, who knows, and, and kind of being that role model as an athlete. And as soon as that path changed, and yeah, I just naturally fell back into coaching. And so when I got back to Vancouver, started working with Thunder um, and Doug Reimer out of UBC, mm-hmm. um, coaching uh, Thunder there. You know, Johnny Whiskar and I coached together. Seymour coaches there, Sandy. Um, lots of good coaches. It's a great club. Um, and uh, more recently, um, partnered with Christian Redman and VVL, Vancouver Volleyball League, and Pacific Coast Volleyball Club, which is a new club this past year. And most recently, Jamie, Christian, and I all partnered and took over uh, ownership of BCO in North Vancouver. So that's 10 youth club teams. Uh, we're starting a house league out there. We offer beach programming. And, you know, from Coaching in Ontario, from getting back to Vancouver with Thunder and BVL and now BCO, I mean, the goal is to influence youth development from a high level, where you can have a say in the programming, uh, the technical knowledge and delivery to athletes, um, all of that. I think that's what excites me the most. Um, And moving a little further past that, um, working with Team BC and, and Volleyball BC, with this U20 program at the Canada Cup. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a ton of value in this event and I, I really enjoy the event. I think it is something that needs to keep growing um, and empower the provinces to take beach development from here back to the provinces and continue growing it because right now this 20 under you know, even 21, 22, 23 athletes that aren't training with the national team are ready to make that leap to Toronto. They age out of programming offered at the provincial sport organization level. Um, and it's important that we don't forget about those athletes because not everyone is ready to make the jump, whether they're going to university or they want to stay close to home. Um, and it's this type of atmosphere, training, followed by competition, lots of provinces, athletes, coaches, um, that's what Canada needs more if we're going to grow the game. And so I'm super passionate, not just from a youth club level in Toronto or in uh, Vancouver, but uh, also from the PSO level, you know, having a hand in there in the development of athletes, especially beach, um, now that we're back home. So. Good. And with you have played at such a high level and obviously talked to friends on tour and played in different events, is that the biggest gap you think you'd address first is what do we do with athletes who are – I guess, over the age of 18 and they cycle out? Or is there something maybe as a whole we could do for youth development? Like what if you, let's use BCO as an example, you guys are taking over a program. Is there anything you would want to get done in year one that would really set you up for success kind of down the road that would be like a pillar? 
Um, yeah, I mean, well, what we're launching next year, which is the biggest um, addition or change, um, whatever you want to call it, is a house league targeted at the grassroots level. Um, when you look at things like Timbits Hockey and, and Basketball Canada and soccer and all that stuff, they target athletes super young. And that's, I think, the only thing I can think of doing that is in London with Cousins and Sean Furnow. Yeah. They have their... They have Timbits. They also have a, a parent and child tournament, which I think is hilarious, oh, awesome. where it's funny as as the younger parents play with the younger kids as you get older well now the the parent is older right so it always evens out where you might think like well that's not really fair that the 30 year old is playing with their eight year old they're gonna beat up on everybody where it's kind of like well it's still an eight year old and then you think well now the 60 year old's playing with an 18 year old so it's not really that much more fair right so that's it definitely awesome. evens out at a certain point right oh, i'm sure so there's an optimal window for the for the mom and dad to play with their sons oh, like no they're kidding. at a peak but uh it's a slippery slope i think once you get over a certain amount i i have not heard of that format before and i love it there's so many parents you know they, they don't necessarily have a volleyball background but their kid gets involved so they just go full on yeah they watch the youtube videos and i want to see them on a court see what they can do um but yeah no the house league uh that's probably the biggest change and we don't necessarily want to rock the boat i mean bco is one of the oldest clubs in canada they have a long history of success um and like all clubs across canada you know it has their up and down years so um there's 10 teams there we have great coaches involved. We have phenomenal athletes. Um, and the leadership, they've done a phenomenal job up till now. And they're not just stepping away cold turkey. They're going to stick around and help out. Um, so, yeah, the house league and then kind of status quo. We want to get our feet wet a bit, see what we can do. And then um, without causing too much of a stir, you know, make sure we make the right decisions, not just rush into what we think without getting a good picture of what the landscape looks like. Nice. And is there any piece of advice you'd give to a younger athlete who thinks that, you know, someday I want to play for the national team? Is there any advice you'd give to somebody who's not quite there yet? So maybe they're in college or university or maybe they're a touch younger that, like, you're kind of like, oh, if you want to do this, like, this is a daily task you need to start doing or this is something you need to start thinking about. Um, good question. Although I'm, I would consider myself more passionate about the beach game than indoor, but what in Canada at least, the indoor will maybe not always provide, but still currently provides more than beach, is um, a lot more reps and a lot more meaningful competitions. Um, and those two things alone um, can be transferred to the beach at any moment. So don't, I would say, if you're truly passionate about beach and and for the women anyway, you want to go down in the NCAA or the States and play beach in university, then all the power to you. If that's your goal, look for opportunities to play more beach than indoor. Maybe look for an indoor team that's a little more casual without such high demands that will allow you to train some beach. Um, but me as an indoor coach, I, I'm of the mindset if you're going to play indoor, play indoor. Beach is for beach season. They are arguably the same sport, but there's enough differences where they're not necessarily going to complement each other if you're playing it at the same time. So if you commit to indoor, you're committing to your teammates, you're committing to your coach, just like they expect of themselves and of you, you should expect that of yourselves and of them. Like you're going to commit to playing indoor, being the best you can. Um, and that team dynamic is huge. Um, I'll be the first to say my partner management on the beach wasn't that great and 
I'm a lot more, uh, I would say, open-minded, down-to-earth about that and how important it is now. Um, but that being said, you learn that in the indoor game. Um, and until there's enough meaningful competition where you can play beach full-time and get that, and if you can get that in parts of Canada, all the power to you. But, um, yeah, I mean, take your time, play indoor, and then when you're ready to play beach, whether it's on the West Coast, on the East Coast, down in the States, then, yeah, you got to take it upon yourself. you got to get in the gym. you got to make sure you're finding the people to work with that are going to make you better, whether that's training full-time with the national team or training closer to home because there's more factors than just good coaching that makes you a better athlete. Definitely. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I'm just looking at the clock. I've taken a bunch of your time, but before you go, I, I can't let you get out of this one. Um, a lot of our listeners like a good story, and, and you've played with some great defenders, like you mentioned Redmond and Schachter, but the one I want to hear about, do you have a marquee story? You guys played in the OBA <laughs> Grand Slam, and and you got it to the final, and I think you were technically, like, you you were retired or maybe just kind of playing still. And yeah, that Mark, was after my hip injury. Yeah. I think Mark decided, you know, he wanted to play for his kids, or he was in the beaches, and he decided, like, Marquis to me seems to be like, this is my Marquis story, the king of the secret workout where we got to the beach and he knows the national team starts at eight. So I believe you guys trained at seven and I asked him about that and he goes, I wanted your guys to see that I was here before them. Like that was the whole point of going at seven, which is that small mental edge of just like, I'm working harder than you. Well, it it was that and it was probably a bit of he didn't want them to see how he was going to (laughs) play. He left that part out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that was, uh. It's good that you brought that up, actually. That's uh, something I'll never forget, but it's something um, he, even in that moment, I learned so much from him. And I, and I wish I would have played with him earlier, but I remember like a ball would come on our court or something, and he saw where it came from and who hit it and whatever. And he'd pick up the ball, and I mean, he was kind of tired in the moment. I mean, we're playing semis and finals and against national team guys, <laughs> yeah. and we're beating them, right? And, and he picks up the ball and he does this whole act like, where'd this ball come from? Whose ball is this? Just like buying more time. I'm like, this is just, you know, this guy's a veteran, right? Obviously. Um, no, that was awesome. He, uh, he was so humble on the court and so fun. And I just remember, I mean, live and die by his cut shot, but so many other aspects. I mean, oh, yeah. he's still in every right spot. I'm up at the net. I'm trying to do what I can for him. But like, I can't count how many plays he was the guy making it happen. It was unreal. I just have one more he's point to talk about where uh, one of our guys approached him after you guys folded them up and he asked him, like, Mark, like, you dug me a bunch of times. How'd you know that? He's like, well, first of all, I trust Maverick to make his call. And he got you a couple times on a block. And I was like, yeah, I, knew, I knew you were going to go back to that shot. And I just dug you on this shot and I knew you weren't going to go back to that. So I just kept progressing with what you were doing. And I basically put you in a box. And I was like, that is the best answer I've ever heard where he's giving our athlete feedback about like how he basically folded him up, but he's still letting him know that he folded him up. Yeah, Yeah, that's funny. That's the vintage old school beach athlete, right? Like, I'm going to let you know that I just beat you, but here's the tip. (laughs) Do you have any tales from the road you would share or any hilarious things that happen? Like, I'll give you a couple examples. Like, uh, Jake, Gabe, Dallas, and Dallas's partner were in a car and they got pulled over by a, a security stop in Brazil. But because they didn't speak English and it was four males in a car with the driver, they basically were held up at gunpoint and stuff. And like Dallas thought they were going to be robbed and we we're going to die. So he's I in heard tears. That. And like, I heard that. So Binstock and I have a similar story. We rented a car from Puerto Vallarta and drove to Manzanillo for two separate Norsecas. 
and everyone else flew and we drove and this roads are super sketchy the size of the potholes are like the size of the car you're driving down into the pothole and back out the other side and anyways we get to Manzanillo we play the tournament on the way back we got to return the car to Puerto Vallarta and then fly home and uh, we pull up to this military checkpoint and I have the camera out obviously I was like oh this is cool kind of sketchy so I'm taking some photos and Josh's like put the camera away put the camera away I'm like nah man it's fine it's fine so they stop us there's two old men there with guns all dressed in the military uniform and stuff and then basically kids like four or five kids maybe six feet tall guns the size of them and none of them speak English and I guess long, like by the end of it we knew they just wanted to one search our vehicle and us two white guys driving in Mexico on this back road super <laughs> sketchy yeah and uh, and then delete the pictures on the camera. But like they tell us to get out of the car, we get out of the car, and the kids don't speak a lick of English, so they don't know what's going on. As soon as Josh cracks his door open, the kid just clenches his gun, cracking like. And I just remember Josh being like, "Dude, dude, are we gonna be okay? Like, just relax, it's fine." Meanwhile, I'm like, "Oh my God, are we gonna be okay?" <laughs> like, it was sketchy. And then, anyways, we were fine. We drove back home, but that was a pretty cool story. There's lots. I mean, I can't even remember half of them. I remember we traveled down to Brazil, Sam and I, into Brasilia. And I don't know what happened, but I booked my flight an entire day earlier than him. So I landed in Brasilia, and I messaged Sam. I was like, hey, where are you at? He's like, I'm at the airport. I okay, great. You just got in? He's like, no, I'm waiting for my flight. And it's an overnight flight, so I to crash a night in Brasilia. It's like our second or third tournament, I forget. Maybe second year on tour, I don't remember. And so I'm in the airport on my computer trying to book a hotel room and book the sketchiest hotel room. I have no idea. I just get into the hotel, close the door, lock it. I think I had like some bars or something. I drank some protein powder for dinner, just slept, wake up, left. Met Sam at the airport the next day, like young guy on world tour. What else? There's for sure stories. I mean, I remember nights of playing credit card roulette for the bill. You know, you like... Uh, English guys out, and maybe a couple of Poles and some Americans, and and uh, like ten or eleven of us around the table, and sure enough, all the credit cards in the hat, and I forget who lost that one. That was a big bill, like a thousand dollars. I mean, I lost my fair share too, but you kind of evens out over time. See, this is the stuff of being a professional athlete that we don't get to hear about as you know civilians. That you guys are just living the life in these. <laughs> checkpoints and credit card roulette but it's, it's not all glamour and just siding out on center court there's a there's a dark side to being a yeah. professional athlete I guess. There, there was one cool uh and, and granted i haven't reached out to them in a while but i know i could tomorrow and they'd welcome me like family still but um sam and i played a tournament in uh, oldham switzerland and the way they do tournaments in switzerland is awesome it's one court it's eight teams per gender the stands are right there circular grandstands um, and every match is played on that court, and it's right in the city center, everywhere they go, beautiful locations, and they do it up great. It's awesome in a venue. Um, so Sam and I played a couple tournaments in Switzerland, and when we were playing Olden, um, at the end, we just, we either finished second or we won, I forget. We made the final anyway, and after the game, uh, this uh, older lady comes down, and she looks at me, and in her Swiss accent, you know, like, oh, your name is Maverick. Yeah. But she looks at me and she says, uh, our son is named Maverick. I said, no way. She said, yeah, the government won't let us name him Maverick because it's not a real recognized name in Swiss. <laughs> I said, oh, that's crazy. So then the next day before we took off, she brought him down and Johnny, the husband, 
um, and Maverick and uh, Janine, uh, Maverick's sister, they all came down and met us and we hung out a bit and then the next year I went back to Olten and they were there and we played in Stad a couple years and they drove up and saw us in Stad. I mean, still to this day when I take a flight and I travel, they gave me this little wooden cross. It has a love on it or something like that and I put it in my bag and it's just something I've always kept from that but definitely a cool experience um, and like I said, I feel like I could message them tomorrow and go hang out. Wow, very yeah. cool. It was quite cool. You know, the people you meet on World Tour. Nice. Well, I think that's that's lots. Thank you for taking the time to uh, come on the show. I know you're busy. You got athlete meetings. You got a, a big day. We got playoffs tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be good. And props to you. Good job with the podcast and everything you're doing. And it's nice to see you here at the U20 running the show. Um, like I was telling you earlier tonight at dinner, uh, definitely um, stepped up the game this year compared to last year. And I look forward to seeing what this tournament can be. I think it's important for everyone. And and look forward to you being a part of it for sure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks to you for being a part of it as well. I think the, the athletes are getting a lot out of it, and now we can hopefully step up the coach development part of it too and just keep this thing going. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's been a good year, and look forward to doing this again. So, yeah, thanks again. We'll, we'll sign off there. Right on. Sweet. Thanks, buddy. You bet. Thanks again to Maverick Hatch for taking time out of his busy schedule during the Canada Cup to shoot a bonus episode for us. We can't wait to have you back on the show when Dallas can join us. We have lots more bonus content coming from Edmonton, so please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and stay tuned every Friday for new episodes. If this is your first time listening to Passing Dimes, feel free to check out previous episodes, like the Estonian pair of Mark Tisar and Kusti Novak, who was our first non-Canadian guest. If you're joining us from the West Coast, make sure to check out the Seymour and Jody Z episode, or just check out our archive section for over 20 episodes. Thanks, and stay excellent.